It's that time again. It's Greek for the week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It is the Greek for the Week podcast, and I am I am not on location. I am in the field in Quetzaltenango. Did yeah, I say it right? It's close enough. Uh, close good. enough? Yeah. Okay, I said it right. We're in Guatemala, and I'm with a good pastor friend of mine, Josh Munoz, Pastor Josh Munoz, and he's not just a pastor, but he's also a Greek scholar, and when we have the opportunity to be with academics and pastors, people that are both in the field, doing the work of the ministry, spirit-filled people, Pentecostal, full of the Holy Ghost, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, but at the same time, academics and Greek scholars in particular, uh, I want to take advantage of that. So we're with them today. Josh, it's good to have you with us, man. Thanks, Chris. It's really an honor to just get to talk to you and share with other people who listen to the podcast, and thanks for the opportunity. It's an honor. Well, Grief of the Week loves you, and... Um, you know, so where did it begin for you? you, you we, we've been talking since uh, we first met you, uh, and while I've been here, uh, you've been sharing with me some phenomenal things about Greek. Um, but tell me, where, where did it begin with as a, as a pastor and being involved in Greek? How did it start? Well, um, I studied uh, theology at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and so I had different options as far as what I wanted to specialize in, and so I ended up doing a New Testament degree because I wanted to do the biblical languages, but I wanted to do Greek specifically for, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I, I respect people who do Hebrew and everything, and I don't have anything against them. It's just I felt that with Greek, you could do more as far as you could do, of course, the old the New Testament. You could do the Old Testament too. It's Septuagint. Uh, you do Church Fathers. You can do all kinds of stuff. And so I started taking my Greek classes, just normal required ones, and I found out that I really loved it. I found out that it was something that I was, you know, good at, you could say. Um, and so I just kept going and everything. I ended up taking more than the required um, work that, that I was supposed to do. I ended up doing, doing more classes, more courses and everything. And I've just tried to keep it up. You know, I graduated two years ago. I just tried to keep it up since then. So was Greek, like, love at first sight for you, you know, when you saw Greek? Was it love at first sight? Kind of. It really, I mean, I, I just thought it was so cool that I that I could even just say, you know, I'm, I'm taking Greek. I'm studying Greek. And it wasn't always the most exciting classes or the easiest classes I ever took. But as, more, as far as when I started advancing and it just became something that I could start using and kind of getting the hang of it and figuring out how the language actually works, mm-hmm. then I was like, wow, this is a tool that can help me do all kinds of stuff. And I've tried to filter my theology through my biblical language kind of you know make it make sure that the greek controls my bible study and just the way i interpret scripture Mm -hmm. it's always you know it's not to be like cliche but it's always let's go back to the greek you know what does the greek say Mm -hmm. you know and you really mean it and everything i think that's become kind of the cornerstone for how i do hermeneutics eventually what's the difference between somebody who who, uh, let's just take preachers for instance that stand up and say the greek word for this is this versus someone's actually studied it well, I think that uh, a good concordance can give you some pointers as to what a particular word might mean. The problem is that concordances, and therefore somebody who's just, let's say, a layman who tries to do this kind of stuff, um, won't get a lot of the nuances of how the word is used in different ways that it can be used and what the author is trying to get at and everything. So you can take a word like logos and translate it as word, and you might be able to get some things like that. But when you talk about, for example, uh, the it is finished, you know, in, in John 19, when Jesus is about to 
give up his spirit and everything when you start talking about the perfect tense and you talk about verbal aspect and all that kind of stuff and you just build a phenomenal message out of that I think that's the difference you know you can translate that word as what we would say it is finished but when you get into that verbal aspect and the tenses and everything with the significance of the perfect tense then it's like wow there's there's something more and everything so I think there's a difference you can kind of say oh yeah that's an equivalent but then when you start getting into nuances syntax that kind of stuff that's the big difference we were just talking about how when so that understanding the tenses the verbal aspect helps you in the way you think about the past is to build a yeah. creative perhaps a word picture from it yeah. to, it, it kind of flows into a, a sermon illustration it really causes your thinking to go in a different direction right Right. And I think that those word pictures are so important because I think that that's how you build a bridge between the theoretical, you know, Greek word and let's, you know, let's parse it or let's, you know, let's figure out what tense it's in and everything and building a bridge to where it actually makes a difference in my relationship with God. I think those word pictures are so important because that's how we can get into the practical stuff. And I think that that's maybe one of the reasons why a lot of people don't really value um, learning Greek or doing something like that because we haven't all figured out how to make that bridge mm-hmm. between the theoretical and the practical. Well, we have uh, what I love about you, Josh, is that you're you're spirit filled Pentecostal. Um, you see the supernatural in your ministry. Uh, you know just how you've built your church in the last year has been nothing short of supernatural and evident grace in your life that God has you here and doing what you're doing. Uh, everything about. Uh, what you've shared with me and, and you, just the way you've worked your ministry has just been fantastic. But you have an emphasis on higher education. Yeah. So you see that. So you so you believe as well as I believe, but you confirm that you believe that you can merge higher education with Pentecost because we sometimes see it's either or, right? Right, yeah. And I think that's been a, um, a pattern in a lot of uh, Pentecostal circles is either you have anointing and power of the Spirit in you or on you, or you can have higher education. <laughs> and it's almost like a risk you take if you go to college. Uh, you, you better be careful, you know, because you're going to lose your anointing. You're going to lose your fire. And I think that higher education, especially in my case, the only thing that it's done is kindle the flame even more. You know, it's, it's yeah. built the fire up even more inside of me. And so I think we really need to stop thinking of this as either or, as a both and. This is this, Let's take advantage of it. Let's have strong Pentecostal foundations to what we believe. Let's filter our education through our Pentecostal experience. Let's let the Spirit talk to us in different ways. Because I think that even then, when we in Pentecostal circles talk about the Spirit talking to us or the Lord talking to us, we imagine a prophet or somebody coming and saying, you know, let's say the Lord. And you don't get a lot of that in most universities, so people say, well, the Lord doesn't speak. Well, I disagree. I think the Lord can speak through a professor, through a class, yes. through a textbook even, through a paper you're writing. That can even that can be anointed, and you can feel the anointing mm-hmm. even by doing, you know, quote, unquote, academic exercises. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when we get to that point where we realize that, then I think that that really makes a difference. Like, man, I can really use this to reinforce my Pentecostal experience. I was... Um when I was doing my thesis work. Yeah. Okay, so we had to do two or three papers to build up the thesis work. But all those papers, I always felt, I used the term worshipful. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. very worshipful. Yeah. Uh, I spent hours, six, seven, eight hours in the library doing it. And I would come out and I would say, I have used my day to glorify the Lord. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have spent the whole day in the presence of God working out this complex paragraph yeah. and parsing the Greek word. Right. And, and right. doing a history of interpretation. Yeah. And... I think sometimes Pentecostals, you know, we 
we should put more emphasis on that. I think so. That's possible. I, I think so. I think that because one of the things that I realized working through different passages, especially when I got up to the part where I could write exegetical papers, which I really enjoy doing, I would finish a paper and it would make me love the passage even more. And and when I think, I think that when you get to the point where you love God's word even more than what you did coming into it, then it's like, okay, the Lord was in the middle of that. Because, of course, he's drawing us to himself mm-hmm. through to, to his manifestation, through his word. And so when you spend all this time writing a paper and then you're like, I found all these things out about this particular passage, but I want to go back and do more. I want to, I want to read that passage again. I want to see that passage one more time. I want to find out what else is there and everything. I think that's when um, the Lord is in the middle of that. And I think we need to understand those kinds of things difference between a a ministerial school and a uh, university or Mm. higher education? That's a good question. I think one of the main differences is that usually a ministerial school or let's say a Bible school has some kind of pre-established theology. And if you don't teach that pre-established theology, then you don't do very well at that. So they have a pre-established set of theological values that they're just kind of taking for granted. And if, especially if a professor doesn't align himself to those principles, then he's not going to last very long. And if a student doesn't align himself to those principles, then he's not going to last very long either. But a university doesn't have, or I don't think is supposed to have, much of a set theology. I think that a university should be more of a free academic environment where you can experience different ideas and be open to different things. Tell me the market illustration, because you shared this with me about what yeah. theology is like a market and how versus sometimes we don't see it that way. You know? Yeah. Explain that. Well, I think at a university, it should be, the theology taught at a university should be like a market where you're free to pick up things and examine them and look at them and, and consider it and compare and be like, ah, maybe this or maybe that. But then at the end of the day, you're not obligated to buy anything. You know, you can go to a market stand and, and you know, they're selling fruit and you can pick up a couple pieces of fruit and look at them and turn them over once or twice. But then be like, nah, I, I don't think I'm going to get anything today. I might come back next week. I think that, but at least you've learned to interact with that. I think you, at least you've learned to think critically through these things and you've learned to interact with other authors, other professors, other students that don't share the same ideas, but you don't necessarily have to brand them as, as heretics or, or not as Christian as you are. You learn to interact with them, but then at the end of the day, you're not under any kind of obligation to change any of your own beliefs. You what, g- what gain is in that for the student? I think it makes you mature as a Christian because in, in many cases, especially going to a Christian university, and it was in my case too, that I grew up in a Christian home, and so I had the belief system of my parents. You know, the theology I had received, Word of Faith, Pentecostalism, was directly from my parents, and I thought that that was, that was it. You know, I had heard about other denominations like, you know, Baptist, Presbyterians, but I didn't even really know what that meant, you know, just they were different somehow. And, but when I went to the university, I found out, man, there's so many different kinds of Christians and there's so many different you know, ways you can believe or you can approach a certain issue. There's so much more out there. And so it made me personally get to a point where I had to figure out why I believe what I believe. So I'm a Pentecostal. Great. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that means that my parents are Pentecostal. Well, that's not good enough anymore. Now you're going to have to be able to defend why you are a Pentecostal instead of 
you know, any other denomination. So <clears throat> I think it makes you mature as a Christian. Absolutely. Uh, so can you tell when a pastor preacher has had higher education versus when he's not? And if so, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, I think you can. I think it gets kind of tricky when some preachers try to get into some deeper, deeper issues. You know, one of the most feared phrases that you can hear somebody <laughs> say is, well, the Greek says, you know, and they say, well, oh boy, <laughs> you know, here, you oh boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh man, we're in for a treat now. So you, you kind of get nervous and say, well, the Greek says, and you can tell right after that if they really know Greek or if they maybe found something on some website or some Bible study tool or something, which is great, but it's not the same thing. So I think that you can tell when, when a preacher really knows his stuff, when he can go deeper than just the Greek word for this is this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, uh, no, that's so true. There was a preacher one time and he was really off base. And you know, I don't come to criticize. Right, right. I, I really, even if something is, because I would want someone to treat this way for me, I really, is there's some things I'd probably preach that some people wouldn't see it that way, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. And I would hope that it, in the midst of that, there, there's maturity enough where you can still take, you can still receive something. Right. That's that's yeah up to here. But something in the head is that really off base, and he's, I studied the Greek, I studied the Greek, I studied yeah. the Greek. And I'm sitting there like, no, you really haven't. Right. <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> actually. And it doesn't make me better. And I don't try, I'm not trying to be an academic snoot about the whole thing. But it uh, there's something to be said for a person that really values the Word of God enough mm-hmm. to take that amount of commitment and time yeah. and place it in God's Word. And there's no shortcuts when it comes to you know understanding the language. No, there, there's just no substitute for actually just sitting down and doing the work. One of the things that they taught us when I was taking Greek was that for every hour you spent in the classroom, you had to spend two hours outside of the classroom yep. just working on it, just memorizing, uh, practicing, parsing, all kinds of stuff. And at first we kind of laughed and like, yeah, whatever, you know, that's just one of those phrases right. professors say, right? But as we continued to study, we figured out, yeah, it's gonna, it's kind of how it's gonna have to be. There's no substitute for doing that. But at the end, I think it really pays off. I think it just gives a, a totally different dimension, not only to your preaching, because somebody listening to the podcast might say, well, but I'm not a pastor, you know, I'm not a preacher, mm-hmm. so why should I study Greek right. if Good you question. know? I'm not, I'm not, right? Yeah. Well, well, I, I don't. I shouldn't. I, I don't have to do that, right? And, well, you know, maybe you're not in a position where you have to preach or minister to a group of people on a weekly basis, but it just adds a whole other dimension to your study of the Word of God. And I think that we're all called to love the Word of God and to treasure the Word of God as Christians, not as ministers, not as preachers, just Mm -hmm. as Christians. And even in your Mm -hmm. devotional life, there's a wonderful uh, book that talks about how uh, it's called something like Daily Devotions from the Greek. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really fun little little book. It talks about how you can build a solid devotional life taking lessons from, from, the from the Greek and everything. So even that, even in your quiet time in the morning or in the evening with the Lord, you can use yeah. Greek yep. <laughs> to seek God. And, like and a, that's that's kind of a weird concept to think about, but you can really do it. It's like a hammer that hangs off your tool belt. Yeah. You can pull that out. It's a tool. It's a resource. Yeah. You know, it's a blessing because... Uh, you have all these different, uh, with, with Greek, when you study Greek, you're going to go through the different authors that help you understand and develop Greek. And then you also interact with, you know, when you're, say, you're dealing with a genitive or you're dealing with an accusative right. or something, how do you take this genitive? How do you take it? Yeah. So the exegetical decision has to be made, and you get to be a part of that exegetical yeah. decision, yeah. right? And that helps you gain confidence in your own approach to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it puts confidence in your sermon. Yeah. 
yeah. so that you realize I know what I'm talking about. Right. And I always say that nothing compliments a preacher better than mastery over his information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it helps you be convincing when you're speaking. And you need to be convincing because you're, you're teaching people. Yeah. And the last thing you want is when I've seen preachers, a lot of preachers actually do it today, is they get up and uh, they discredit themselves right before they start speaking. Right. I'm nobody. I'm just, you know, yeah. God can speak yeah. through a donkey. He can speak through me. And it's like, I understand what you're trying to say, but there's a level of false humility in that. And are you really just feeling bad about the fact that you skipped out on studying and, um, you know, you're a little insecure there? Right. Not to say you should get up like this. You're just so yeah, just so completely arrogant and everything. I don't think that either, but I think that you should know what you're talking about and you should have put the hours in to, to be able to do that. There yeah. was a time where you could not man the pulpit unless you were trained. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, as in everything, I think there's has to be a balance. I met a guy who he was uh, studying his, he was getting his MDiv um, to be a youth pastor mm-hmm. in his denomination. Oh, and his denomination did not uh, allow him to be a youth pastor without uh, an MDiv, which I thought in a way was remarkable because in a lot of our denominations, the requirement for being a youth pastor is being young. And, and <laughs> you buying know. pizza. Yeah, and buying pizza. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, you're young and you're funny, so hey, we got a new youth pastor and everything. We're in jeans. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, yeah, and you can do it. But then, um, but then, on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, how long does it take to get a youth pastor? You're looking at at least six, seven years to be able to to get one youth pastor. So I think in everything, it's, it's a, it can be a double-edged sword. But I think that if you take the time to study the Greek, even how you deal with different um, uh, versions and translations of the Bible, it puts you in a better position to compare and to make better decisions. Because as an untrained person, you can find another translation and be like, oh, you know, I, I like how it says that. But when you have the Greek, you can figure out why mm-hmm. it says what it says. How did the translators arrive at that uh, exegetical decision? Or why did they decide to translate that verse in that particular way? Or what manuscripts are is that translation based off of? And why does that even matter? You know, and, and, and so I think that it's just, it's just a whole other world. The thing that I always appreciate about people that have been through school, and not just in seminary, not just in undergrad, and not just in Bible education, but real you know, good, solid education is they always uh, have an honor for their professors. Yeah. And I think about my professors that helped me in this area and I'll forever, I always tell them, I'll forever be your student. Yeah. Forever. I mean, I don't care what, what we do in our, with our respective knowledge. If I exceed you in this, in accomplishment, whatever, they, or maybe not, but you're always going to be my teacher because yeah. you taught me first and I'm always going to look at you that way. And I have so many nuggets of information just lectures I remember so clear there's times where I hear my professors in my head mm. Prof Cooney Chris don't put that much theology into your prepositions mm. yeah. and and it's just what you've had to have great professors tell yeah, me about it sure. tell me about your professors and tell me what do they pass on to you that is still living in you when your professors going to be with the Lord what is still living in Josh Munoz wow well, I did have great professors, and, and I, I'm just so thankful for the relationship that I was able to build up with them, not only while I was at ORU, but even since I've graduated, I've got to kind of keep up that relationship, and I'm thankful for that. But I think that 
Well, there was all kinds of things that they would that they would say and everything. One of my professors, one of the things that he would always say was when we were talking about some concept or something, he'd say, well, this is a mystery that's completely revealed, but not a mystery that's completely understood. And that phrase has stuck with me, and I've used it even sometimes when I'm preaching say or I'm teaching. Okay, well, the phrase is, this is a mystery that's n- that's completely revealed. It's revealed, it's there, but it's not completely understood. Mm. And, and uh, you apply it to things like the Trinity or the things like the hypostatic union, you know, Jesus being God and man, and, and how does that work and you can't reason through everything and it taught us to really accept the the mystery because here we are theologians in training you know we want to figure everything out and we're going to solve all the church's controversies you know we're the answer that the church has been looking for for centuries you know we're gonna we're gonna figure it out and he's like no you're not you know it's it's just because it's god and you can't figure out god you know it's just you're gonna have to figure out that you're the man trying to study this infinite, incomprehensible being who has decided, for whatever reason, to reveal a very small part of himself to you because that's the only part you can really understand. And even that small part, you can't even understand it completely. So I think that that was one of the things that really has just stuck with me and I've used uh, so much during the, just you know being in the ministry and everything is that. It's just the being able to embrace the mystery. Um, that... So you're saying that it's okay, and I, I think sometimes we forget this. It's okay not to understand everything. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's totally okay. And I think it's an integral part of our Christian experience. I think it's it's part also of maturity. If we understood everything, why would we need to trust God? Yeah, exactly. Where's faith? Where, right. Where's faith? And you have to figure out that we're not God, and that we're never going to be able to understand God. And that's just that's just it. And I think He likes it that way. You know, I think that, that that's on purpose. He, he has chosen not to reveal everything of Himself, partly because I think we just explode. You know, we, we couldn't handle it. And and sometimes... Um, and we're in our finiteness. Yeah, in our finiteness. So how do you comprehend the Trinity? Where you Well, you really can't. And there's no earthly analogy. You know, you can start using the clover, the, 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 the ice, the water, that all that kind of stuff. I've heard stuff about a chain. I've heard stuff about an egg, the three-leaf clover, all this kind of stuff. And it's just, you're not going to be able to wrap your head about around it. So just embrace it by faith. Well, it's and like the three-leaf clover. is like there's three leaves on the clover, and if you take one, but if you take one of the leaves off, it's no longer a three-leaf clover. But right. If you remove one of the members of the God, it's still... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's where the analogy breaks down. And then, and then we try to impose the analogy onto the Trinity, and it just doesn't work. And we end up some kind of heresy. So, you know, it's not... It's not yeah, I mean, we, we really do. We end up in tritheism or Unitarianism or Monarchianism or something else. Sabellianism, you name it. Well, speaking about the heresies, because I, we see things that are heresies out there, like black Hebrewism, um, yeah. whatever, which is hot right now, and that's yeah. why I bring it up. And we uh, sometimes on social media there's uproar, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, this is so, so bad." But one of my professors said this early on in seminary. It was just so refreshing. I never forgot. He says, "What we have to understand is to be confident. We've already seen these in different forms, yes. and they've already been settled." Yes, I love that. I, I love that because first of all, we have to figure out really what a what a heresy is, and it's uh, some kind of aberration of a. New, of, a, of an integral Christian doctrine. So something you can't live without. Like basically a Nicene Creed. If you start messing with the Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. then it's a heresy. That's that's pretty much what it is. So I think we sometimes throw that term around pretty loosely and, and I think we don't use it.
use it very well. Like a, like a, like a, like an Armenian calling a Calvinist right. heresy. Right. That's not that. No, that's not, not heretic. Heresy. That's not heresy because no. we're still in agreement that the only way you can find salvation is through Jesus Christ, is grace, then grace alone. That's so. That's not a heresy. Right. Basically, the question is who, <laughs> but yep. that's not a that's not mm-hmm. a question about heresy. And the other thing is what you said. I love that is that the church has already encountered these things and has defeated them and so sometimes us as modern theologians we try to reinvent the wheel instead of going back and figuring out what has the church always taught and just applying those teachings to our modern days so you talk about let's say jehovah's witnesses you know so we're all up in you know up in the rears trying to figure out how to defeat the jehovah's witnesses well the jehovah's witnesses are just modern day Aryans, Mm -hmm. and you go back and you look at the the two councils of nicaea and the council of constantinople and you're like oh Oh, they've already looked at that. Yeah, they've already figured it out. You had these brilliant minds, you know, trying to Athanasius of Alexandria and all these brilliant minds, you know, fighting the heretics. And it's kind of like, well, we could just read what they wrote, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and save us a lot of time. And they're a lot smarter than we are. So, yeah. Okay, so that's, yeah. let me speak to that. What a benefit people that really love the word of God. Let's just say, let's just say people that love God's word. Okay. Because that really, that's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, mother, oh, yeah. the mother at home with her child. Right. Okay. Right. The, the busy dad. The single business owner, you got all these types of people. The young teenager who's just just got saved at youth group. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't it be great if the people that really love God didn't just go to Barnes and Nobles and just uh, or, or 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 the local bookstore and buy right. a uh, coffee shop book? Yeah. But started reading deeper things mm. that had to do with Greek. Mm-hmm. They went to Bar- and Barnes and Nobles had maybe. A Greek, a Greek section, yeah, something there, yeah. Or this is this is how you go deeper in the Greek. I mean, wouldn't it benefit these average people doing doing average things uh, in the sense of not scholarly things, right? But really studying the Word of God at a deeper level, reading what the Church Fathers had to say about yeah. so much. I think that one of the big problems of the Church today is that a lot of Christians are lacking in any kind of foundation. A lot of Christians struggle to explain even the basic tenets of the Christian faith. It's just, you know, it's it's kind of... They know God's going to bless them, yeah, but they don't know... Yeah, the, the, but, the but they don't know, but you, they can explain the divine nature of Jesus Christ. You know, it's just... And, and they, they don't understand that the divine nature of Jesus Christ is a lot more important than knowing whether God's going to bless them or not, you know. So... I think that that's one of the big problems. And they get and rattled. They get shaken. They go to university exactly. and the, the atheist professor yeah. takes it right out of them. Or uh, here comes another heretical movement that disguises mm. itself as an orthodox Christian movement, orthodox as far as the correct doctrine, and there they go with them because they were they were fooled. They were deceived by different things. And the Bible says that that's how the devil works. The devil works through deceit. He's always done that. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. That's what he does with everybody through the Bible. That's what he's going to try to do with us. So it's our responsibility to be firm in the faith. And this kinds of things, like studying a little bit uh, more solid, deeper theology, stuff in the Greek, that could really help us to be able to explain our faith to ourselves and to somebody else. And the Bible commands us to do that. First Peter 3.15 says that we need to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us for a reason of our hope. So we, we, we have to be ready. The Bible commands us to, and many times we're not. And so then here comes another movement, and they can spit the Bible at us, and so we're like, oh, okay, well, they, they must be right then because they know more of the Bible than I do. It's not necessarily true. It's just we need to have a firm foundation. I feel that we get um, resented sometimes because we want to be deeper with our faith, and it's kind of like, what does all this deep theology have to do with where I'm at in life right now? Yeah. You know, and that's why uh, you have social media sites that 
people live on their faith by little quotes and quips mm-hmm. and things that sound fancy and sound good. And you're like, hey, the Bible doesn't even say this. Right. The Bible disagrees right. with this. Sometimes it's a psychological concept disguised mm-hmm. as something from the Bible. And people think, and people eat it up. But you can't deepen, you can't renew your mind with a quote. Mm, I like that. You can take it. Thanks. There you go. You can't renew your mind with a quote. You're not. There's content on on our social media sites that are good are things that are that should be thought provoking. I say this, Josh, is that there is an inspirational, a one hundred percent layer of um, principle from God's word that we can pull it out from God's word and use this point to inspire you, use this point to edify you, encourage you. Okay. But there's also, but and we, we we have mastered those things. Yeah. But it seems like sometimes we go too much that and depend too much on that, forgetting that there's still a very philosophical point of view from the Word of God mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's supposed to challenge how you see things and challenge yeah. the way that you think and grow your thinking. And sometimes I feel that people read the Word of God and they're like, this makes me feel really good. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. great. Okay, that's good. But has it grown the way you think? Yeah. Has it given you a new way of looking at things, uh, a deeper way of seeing things? Has, mm-hmm. it, has mm-hmm. it maybe uh, pitted itself against some of the former ways of thinking? Because when Paul was talking about stronghold in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it wasn't necessarily talking about sometimes you create strongholds, a, a bad cycle of thinking. Right. You get that, but in the immediate context, it was philosophy, yeah. philosophical arguments yeah. that were keeping people from receiving Christ as Lord or taking people away from the fact that Christ is Lord. And they were structured in such a way that was pleasing to them. Uh, and and uh, to challenge that, you have to have a higher way of thinking. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned a good point, and it's about the feelings. And see, a lot of people are led by their feelings. It's just what they feel. You know, I, I feel, and even they say, sometimes I've heard people use this phrase that kind of bugs me. It's one of my theological pet peeves. <laughs> but it's like, you know, well, I feel that what this passage is talking about. It's like, no, no, you don't get to feel what this passage is. That's, right. not, that's not how it works. You know, either this is what it's saying or this isn't what it's saying. And you can't feel. It's not, you know, that's like if the professor, you know, assigned a paper and, you know, gave out written instructions on how to write the paper. But then somebody came and said, well, what I feel this professor was trying to tell me and it's like well you can feel whatever you're gonna get an f you know so but but see i think that the, a, a mark or a sign of a person just in the natural that's not very mature is somebody who makes decisions based on their feelings mm-hmm. little kids make decisions based on their feelings they're yeah. hungry they want food right there that you take away their toy they get mad so yep. they want their toy back mm-hmm. and they don't think higher they just it's all about their feelings. And, and at, at a certain point in our Christian life, I think feelings are really important as far as making decisions and everything. I think that's yeah. normal. But we have to get to the point where our feelings don't have the last word. I think we have to get to the point where the word of God finally makes the decision. And we can reason higher than just, oh, I feel that this will, it might make me, this might not make me feel very comfortable. But it's something that I need to mm-hmm. grow in, in the word of God. and something that I need to grow in spiritually. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly how you are. I, I've always sensed that if I'm not, the Word of God is not challenging my thinking. Mm. There's This has become more eating junk food yeah. than it is really reasoning things out. I mean, yeah. you said we can't, there has to be faith about things, but God's Word is so complex. Yeah. It's, it's simple, yeah. but it's complex. Yeah. It's like a paradox, you know, and in some way, in, in one way, it is very simple that the homeless man on the street can mm-hmm. understand the Word mm-hmm. of God. You know, you don't need to understand genitives and accusatives and dativs to be born again, right. saved and right. filled with the Spirit and healed and delivered, which is a tremendous side of the gospel. Yes, yeah, so necessary. The, yeah. the move of the Spirit, the move of God and repentance and 
looking at Bra- uh, the Brownsville Revival and yeah. Azusa Street, things that cannot be replaced. But then at the same time, I tell the Lord in my prayers, I say, God, I want to see revival, but I also want to see it in the universities. Mm-hmm. Because we're, our, our young people are being herded there in droves yeah. and droves. And look, yeah. at, look at what the universities have become. It has become a cesspool mm. of wickedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, people go to universities today and they become dumber. Yeah, They spend, uh, you know, our universities are teaching gender theory. Yeah, And look at what kind of a mess it's created. Okay, it's challenged. Judeo-Christian principles, which really, if you look at uh, uh, the founding of the United States, mm-hmm. Judeo-Christian principles are have what has been able to keep our government moving forward yeah. in power, keep our yeah. justice and our, our system of government uh, as strong as it has been because they uphold our society and our culture. Yeah. Okay, uh, And now those are, those are being wiped out. And it's got to not just be a revival of miracles and signs and wonders. I mean, we need that because those are people's basic needs. Mm-hmm. And if you're in pain, you can't think about much else but your pain. Right. If you're depressed, you can't. But what about when everything's well? We have a big problem to fix in universities. And I tell the Lord, God, raise up C.S. Lewis's. Mm, I love that, yeah. Raise up, you know, new thinkers, okay, yeah. that can go out there and get into the forum with Richard Dawkins. Yeah. And just spank them. Yeah. Get, they can get into the forum with the new the neo atheists the neo agnostics people, and start doing a number on them and representing uh, a renaissance of thinking mm. that pulls back and says, "Hey, I'm agnostic at this point. I have to make a decision: is atheism mm-hmm. or is Christianity mm-hmm. a better method mm-hmm. of lifestyle?" Mm-hmm. And make a case for Christianity. We have them that are out there doing that. I yeah. mean, we have yeah. you know. Our 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 uh, our, our uh, apologists apologists yeah, that are out uh, there, but we need more. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We need. I think we need to go back to a point where Christianity can also be intellectually defended because I think it's getting to the point where Christians are looked down upon as people who are intellectually inferior, and that's not true at all. If you look at history, the most brilliant minds in all of history have always been Christians. I mean, that's just that's just a general rule. I mean, the greatest scientists, the greatest inventors, the greatest astronomers, the greatest, of course, theologians, but just everybody. There's a lot of the greatest philosophers. They were Christians, or they or they had strong Judeo Christian principles. So I think that it's time to for us to realize that, and that no believing in the Bible is not believing in a fairy tale book. It's not the same as you know if I decided to believe in the Lord of the Rings or something. You know, it's not the same thing at all. It's not there's this pie in the sky. It's it's something that can be logically, rationally, philosophically defended. So back to that. So where we at? We're both Pentecostals. Yeah. We both. And when if you're listening and you say what's a Pentecostal, I as a as a minister, I get along with anybody that subscribes to the nice right. degree. Yeah. I mean th- those are our basic. Doc- don't touch those, or we're not gonna have a problem. Right. So we, that includes a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all of your major branches of Christianity subscribe to that. Okay. And we can agree to disagree in other areas, but I'm gonna get along with you, and we're not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight you. We can discuss, we can have discussion, we can have heated discussion, but at the end of the day, I'm going to hug you, my brother, and I got your back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Uh, but as a Pentecostal, I believe in encouraging all Christians to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm, amen. An empowerment. And they say, what is the baptism? I think a lot of people say, that's tongues. Yeah. Uh, it's the, I believe it's the initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues. And if there's a lot of Pentecostals that kind of differ from that, but I believe that. Um, 
but I also encourage people to seek the empowerment mm. of the Spirit. And then yeah. that's what the baptism of the Spirit is. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a witness, to yeah. go forth and to preach the gospel and to do the, and fulfill the Great Commission with signs following. Okay, so that's what I believe. But we can get along with uh, other people that don't believe it necessarily that way. And I'm okay. I mean, we, at the end of the day, I think unity is more important than, than fighting that one out. Mm-hmm. But... In this area of Pentecost, it seems that, going back to what we were talking about, we've fought. We have fought academics. Like, yeah. the moment, I remember being taught in some areas, oh, you go get that PhD that stands for post hole digger. <laughs> you know, that's what it stands for. That's yeah. all it's good for is digging posts. Or you're going to dry up and the anointing's yep. going to go. You're going to lose your fire. You lose, yeah. lose your fire. But a professor said something to me one time. He said, Pentecostals would do better... Uh, to understand that sometimes the gifts of the Spirit are not the solution to everything. Mm. Whereas it might not be the working of miracles that solve this problem. It could yeah. just be some good old-fashioned hard work and discipline. Yeah. It could just be um, uh, you need to add a talent. You need to go add a skill. Go yeah. to school a little bit yeah. longer. Well, speak on that a little bit. What do you think? I, I agree completely because I talk a lot about that in my messages or I, I have the opportunity of teaching a couple of Bible schools. And so when I'm in the classroom, I tell them that a lot of times we try to rebuke things because you can't, you can't rebuke the flesh. Somebody said you can't rebuke the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to figure out which is which. You're going to have to discipline the flesh. You have to disciple the flesh. And you have to rebuke a demon, but you can't do it the other way around. So people, it's like, so where I'm from in Guatemala, um, we're famous for being late. You know, we're, we're, we're always late. We're always late for everything. And so it's funny to me because in some churches, they try to give a spiritual spin on that to where it's, there's a spirit of, of being late. Yeah. So I've had, I've heard preachers. You know, get up in the pulpit and before service starts, rebuke the spirit of being late. You know, we take hold of, of the spirit of lateness and everything. And, you know, I've, I've kind of wondered, hmm, well, apparently in places like Japan and Germany and everything, they've done a really good job of rebuking that spirit. I mean, they've got the, I mean, they, they've just cleared that completely. There's just, he's gone. Yeah, he doesn't manifest at all over there. So it's kind of like, no, there's no such thing as a demon of being late. There's a, you know, it's just a matter of, as you said, being disciplined. Even people who have problems a lot of times with alcoholism, there are cases, I think, where it is a spiritual thing, where they're spiritually bound. But there's other times when they just made bad decisions and they've developed an addiction and you have to break that and you have to teach them how to break because you can lay hands on them and you can you know they can fall out and it's a great and glorious thing but the problem is if you do that on a sunday monday and tuesday the temptation is going to come back to go back and drink and so what are they going to do they come back and you lay lay hands on them again or are you going to teach them to make wise decisions to strengthen their character to be able to walk that out it's a, that's true. We can't use the gifts of the Spirit as a, as a uh, cop-out on things. Yeah, and I think we, we, I think a tendency in Pentecostalism sometimes is to do those kind of things. It's just a, well, you know, just lay hands on me. And okay, but the Bible also talks about not laying hands just on anybody for any reason and everything. So you have to be careful with that. And you and I think that, again, what we're really lacking is Christian character. It's just making ma- mature saints. I, I remember the, the Holy Spirit came minister to me one time don't give people don't prophesy to people who only want to prophesy because they're too lazy to make a decision yeah wow man yeah hmm yeah and I've seen that even like the way we treat prophets it's, we treat them sometimes as a Christian horoscope mm-hmm. I mean it's like 
you prophesy to me, brother, you know, who am I going to marry? What am I going to, am I going to make a million dollars? And it's kind of like, and, and I've seen prophets where they're like, okay, who wants a prophecy? And I stand away, but that's not how it works. It's not, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I need a prophecy now. You know, yeah, yeah, that's not, that's not how it works. It's you're led by the spirit. You don't lead the spirit. You know? Well, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, we, we've seen the gimmicks. Any, anything, if, I would say anything that sounds gimmicky is gimmicky and it's mm-hmm. not going to work. We don't want to come off gimmicky about things. You know, we're teaching people. Oh, let me, let's get to that before I forget. Critical thinking. Yeah. How important is that for a Christian to develop that? Again, I think it's so important because one of the strategies of the devil is to deceive us. And so we have to get to the point where we can think critically about people and ideas within our own movement and also people who are not from our movement because I don't know if it was like this with you Chris but when with me growing up they kind of taught me I don't think they did it on purpose but they kind of taught me that any Christian who was not a Pentecostal was yeah he was a Christian but he was not as good of a Christian <laughs> as we were you know so so we elitism you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you got a Baptist, you got a Methodist, and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're going to heaven, but you know, it'd be better if they'd be Pentecostal, you know, and, and, and okay, fine. But I think that we have to get past that and to really be able to engage with what those I, ideas. What I told my church is we will never say at our church, we're not like most churches. Yeah. We don't say that. Yeah. And that's because we haven't been to most churches, number one, and we're not going to try to uh, pit ourselves against other churches like mm-hmm. we're, we're you know because you see a lot of unhealthy churches like we are the armies right we're an, we're, a, we're an army church we're a militant church and we do things a little bit different we're not like most churches it's like where is all this coming from yeah why are, why are we comparing ourselves to other churches and that's that's being elitist and I think it's dangerous because if you look at the different sects like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism and all this they stuff they start that way they start that way their yeah. belief is we're the only one church if you look at Mormonism they think that they're the only church that the rest the true church was, fell away after the day of Pentecost and it got restored to Joseph Smith so when we look at that and we're like oh yeah well, of course that's not true but we have to be careful because we can go down that same line of reasoning really easily and, and everything so I think we have to be we have to be careful with, with that kind I don't and I, I like I heard a saying uh, during my time at university that somebody said we can as a church we can say where God is we cannot say where God is not mm. so we we can be oh, in an environment and good, be like man. yeah God is that's here good. we can we can see that we can figure that out yeah God is here but we have no right to say oh no God is not over there <laughs> I was at a, I, w- I kid you not Josh I was at a church service one time and uh, a woman saw me and she said to me, Pastor Palmer, it's good to see you here. It wasn't my church because I would have corrected her. Uh, it's good to see you here. That's why I don't ever go have any interest in ever stepping foot in another church anywhere, visiting another church because we have everything we need right here in this mm-hmm. church. And I thought, wow, you know, I mean, I get it's really good that you believe in your church that way and you should, yeah. you should honor it. But to suggest that other churches are insufficient yeah. in what she was doing is... Is it scares me because that person didn't even realize how much they didn't know. Right. She didn't know that she didn't know. Yeah. And that's a dangerous place to be. That goes back to my point: is do we sometimes um, get involved in in, in in places or religious communities because we don't want to think? Yeah, I, and I think, <laughs> yeah, and I th- <laughs> I agree, and I think that's, that's, that's one of the right, and even and I think that's even one of the hallmarks, uh, unfortunately, of a lot of Pentecostal thought. 
is just I don't want to think. I just want spirit to guide me. People mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. you know, at turn pe- your brain off and don't think about right. it. Right, or even I've heard like preachers just be like, "Well, I don't know what I'm preaching about. I'm just gonna let the spirit lead me." Yes, I, I'm, I'm totally in favor of the spirit leading you, but you need to. I have never ever been in a situation where I have not prepared and the spirit has led me. Mm-hmm. I have been in situations wow. where I have studied. I have prepared. I have a message that I think God has given me. And when I'm walking up to the platform, God says, that's not what you're going to preach. You're going to preach something else. So you have to prepare is essential. Yeah, you have to. But it's never happened to me where I just show up at a church and be like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to open my Bible and see where my finger falls. You know, that's that's, that's not being led by the Spirit. That's not preparing. When I was in ninth grade, I was in basketball camp. I thought I was going to be in the NBA. But then when I didn't grow past five foot nine in high school, it's just... And I missed the layup and the cost of the game. I realized it's never going to happen for me. But I used to go to these basketball. Believe it or not, I was a pretty good basketball player for my age in, in ninth grade. And was competitive. And then after about that, started, anyway. You don't want to hear my sad basketball. <laughs> but my coach would always say this. He goes, practice doesn't make perfect. Mm. And we'd be like, huh? He said, you can come out on the court and throw the ball around. And, and that's called that practice. He goes, perfect practice makes perfect. Mm. Never forgot it. Wow. Yeah. And I started thinking, whatever I, it is I do in life, I'm going to apply that to yeah. it. And I yeah. realized that I'm, I'm a teacher of God's Word, and I'm not out here to be the best. I'm out here to give God my best. Mm, mm, I like that. Okay. I like that. You can use it. Thanks, thanks, thanks. <laughs> I'm out here to give God my best. And I know that um, studying for me, and maybe for the younger preachers that are listening, or you know, whatever preachers listening, um, you, you don't study just for sermons. You study as a lifestyle. Yeah. And, and to study, the more you study, the more you'll love studying. It's like anything you do. The more you go to the gym, the more you actually like going to the gym. Right. You miss a day, you fall behind, mm-hmm. it starts becoming drudgery again. Mm-hmm. And I'm not bound. If there's days that I don't study the Word, I mean, I'm in Guatemala now, so I, I can tell you tomorrow morning I'm not going to have my Logos Bible software right. open. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But last week I did it three or four days for several hours. And um, I'm like, when you do that, you make that study a lifestyle. It becomes a part of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God's Word becomes a part of you. Yeah. And as we said before, the more you get into God's Word, you start to realize it is a, it's like looking at the, it's like looking out to outer space. The more we study the cosmos, the more mm-hmm. we realize how big, how yeah. much bigger the cosmos is. Yeah. And when you realize how much bigger something is, do you know what the, you know what the only conclusion you have? How actually small I am. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So when I open God's Word, the Word of God keeps expanding to me. The more I try to study it, then I start seeing how small I am. Yeah. And it gives to you a deep humility. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is how small I am. Right. And, and I, I don't know it all. Carl Bart had a vision at the end of his life that he was standing before the Lord. And all of his books were being burned. Wow. Yeah. Man. Carl Bart is, a, is the, the greatest theologian of the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... It's, 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 it's humbling. God mm-hmm. keeps you humble as a theologian. Yeah, I think so. At Central Bible College in Missouri, uh, I was picking a Bible school when I was finishing my senior year of high school. I ended up going to North Central in Minneapolis, but I, I visited Central in Missouri where it was, uh, where it was the headquarters of the Sons of God. And I was sitting in there at one, and the professor, I forgot his name, good, good teacher, he said to his students, um, you don't get to choose if you're going to be a theologian or not if you're a pastor. Hmm. You're all theologians. You're just going to be a good one or a bad one. Right. Yeah. Man. I'm like, man, that's real. So yeah. anybody handling the Word of God, uh, 
one pastor told me one time, I'm not a theologian, I said, anybody that handles God's word and is teaching people is a theologian. Absolutely. Yeah. It may not be good, but... Right, I was going to say, some people say, well, I'm not a theologian. No, all that really means is you're a bad one. That doesn't doesn't mean you're... you're, Yeah, you are a theologian, but we have to be good theologians. We have to learn to... And I've found in my own personal life that when I'm... If I'm just reading the Bible or studying it because I have the pressure of preparing a sermon, it's not... doesn't always come out as easy Can't. as when I'm just studying the word. Just I want to spend time with my Heavenly Father. And it's just amazing how even I was reading even just my daily Bible plan. I was reading Exodus because I'm doing this, you know, Bible in a year thing. So, you know, I was reading Exodus. And Exodus, the first part is, you know, is exciting. The last part when they're talking about tabernacle, <laughs> it's not that exciting. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, okay. So I was just kind of, you know, getting through it. But stuff just started popping out at me and I was like man I'm getting a sermon out of the design for the tabernacle you know and out of cubits and all this kind of stuff and it's like man this is unbelievable but I think it's just when you let the Holy Spirit speak to you and you do it because you love God and you want to be close to God rather than just oh well I have to have something for Sunday I I learned a lesson that is you cannot you cannot cram for faith Mm, that's good that's good you know, you can't you can't cram. You can't yeah. cram for the for the revelation. Revelation doesn't come with cramming and pressure. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you can do it. You can get it quickly, but uh, if God wants to speak to you, but you just I need a sermon. God give it to me now. What do I do? What do I preach? Sermons. I sermons sometimes take. It's like putting something in the crock pot. You have to let it simmer. The best sermons that I have that I can re-preach and re-preach. Which, by the way, if young preachers are listening to this. Um, you can have you can preach sermons more than once. If you say good yeah, it's sermon, not a sin. Hmm. yeah. If you say good sermon, you should preach it a lot. You know, and uh, somebody one time an evangelist said, somebody asked me if I was preaching the same sermon. Of course, I'm preaching the same sermon. This is my best sermon. I'm only going to give you my best, and my sermon is not right. my best until I preach it ten times. Yeah, that's something yeah. for you hearing that. Hmm. I mean, it, it hmm. doesn't mean that you shouldn't prepare, but if God has given you a word, you can take that places and preach it. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. that's what the Lord. But some of the things that I really that have become staples that I love to preach, um, took time to develop. Yeah, and thinking and contemplation and and, I, then, and, and it really didn't begin and it didn't begin as I want to do a sermon on this mm-hmm. and throw a dart at the wall and it land on this topic and yeah. that's it. It's just I started studying this area. Yeah, and God started giving me, um, and, and the Spirit started ministering to me. Yeah, before I get carried away on that, um, let me ask you. Can you be academic and prophetic at the same time? Hmm. I love that question. I think you can. I think yeah. there are two sides to an all-important equation, and you have to have both. Because I think that revelation and knowledge go together. I think that you get revelation a lot of times through your knowledge. You know, and the more you study, the more God can give you. You know, because when you have that hunger and that thirst for more, then I think that God can show you more. So I think that you can learn. And I think we're all on a journey to do that. I, I personally, and I, and I think, Chris, you, you are too, that we're on a journey to try to figure out how to be rigorous in our academic, not to be sloppy or lazy with our preparation, but to leave room also for the Spirit to move. Because those are the two sides, you know, how do you not get up in the pl- pulpit or platform and just be like, okay, well, we're just going to see where the Spirit takes this, okay? How is that not an excuse for not preparing? But then how do you not go to the other side where it's like, no, this is this is what I'm talking about and this is what I'm going to do and this is the only thing I'm going to do. And, you know, oh, we want to move to the Spirit, but we have 20 minutes. So if the Spirit's <laughs> going to do something, he's got 20 minutes to do it, you know, because uh, how, how do we find that? 
But I, I think that the prophetic and the academic must Absolutely. go together. Because, see, I was going to touch on something a couple minutes ago. Whereas, because of the manifestation, the glorious manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit within the Pentecostal movement, unfortunately, there's been many abuses of the same gifts. And that has caused a lot of criticism towards the Pentecostal movement. I think that one of the ways that we can establish guardrails against these kinds of abuses by the gifts or towards the gifts is through solid academic work. We can we can raise up a people who can think, who can reason, who can study the word and be like, that's not a true prophecy. That's not a true move of the spirit. And this is why. You know, and even we, the we prophecy you gotta be okay with being judged. That's yeah, the because the word where the word said, and it's very interesting because one of my professors said one time that it, it's almost like the one who decides if a prophecy is from God or not is the body of Christ. Yep. So a prophet can come up and say, "Thus saith the Lord," and give his prophecy, but as a congregation, as the body of Christ, it's up to us to judge according to the word of God whether that's a true prophecy or not. I want to ask you this final question. This is a big one. Oh boy, this is a big one. There was a um, uh, one of my friends was telling me when he went to seminary. The first book they had to read was how to how to go through seminary and stay saved <laughs> <laughs> because of what it does to you. Yeah. But I'm gonna ask you to like this, and you understand. And if you're if you're listening, you've been to seminary. But how can you become an academic but remain compassionate and in touch with the needs of the people? Mm. Because sometimes as an academic, yeah. we become it's it's about every jot and tittle of the law. Yeah. And we understand that there is that side of things where you want to get your theology so right. Yeah. But yet, we want to be compassionate to the people and understand that they're worthy at. How do we balance it so that mm. we can make sure we're both? Good question. It's a really good question. And I think my answer is going to be simple. I hope it's not too simple. But at least in my own experience, what I can say is that the way I think the Lord has done it through me is that I've kept up my devotional life. I was gonna say prayer. Yeah, I mean, there you go. Prayer. See, it's just it's it's keeping up your devotional life. It's it's spending time in the commentaries, in in the books, hitting the Greek, parsing those words, you know, analyzing those verbs. Go for it, but never ever ever forsake your quiet time in the morning or in the evening, and really seek God. So there's times where you just have to put the logos Bible software away. Yeah, like the Holy Spirit. Get that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Turn it off. You know. Shut it down for a little bit. And, and to train yourself to go, because one of the things that I would do is I'd sit in church and I would have to train myself to not try to nitpick at the pastor's oh, yeah. message. I would be like, Lord, speak to me. I might not so agree with you. So can't nitpick my message. Oh, but come on, man. You're a Greek scholar. You ain't going to be no nitpicking there. I'm concerned about you listening to my message. I'm really concerned right, about that. Right here. We're not going to nitpick. Okay, yeah, okay. There it is. And it's on the podcast, so we can go back and be like, see? Yeah, so... I think, it, but I think that, and being a pastor has really helped me because when people come with all kinds of issues, you know, they don't care about what the, you know, the, right. the accusative or if this is a genitive or, you know, what kind of dative is this. They don't care about that. They want to know what the Lord's compassion and love is towards them. Yeah. Nothing replaces the presence of God. Mm, amen. amen. Couldn't agree with that more. And, amen. And, and, and God's word changes, but the presence of God changes us. Yeah. And I know that. Um, our prayer life is absolutely essential. Praying in the Holy Ghost, praying Amen. in English, praying in Spanish, whatever your language is. But you cannot replace that time because there's something, there's something that prayer brings that that studying doesn't bring. Um, and it's just, 
I don't know. I don't know if I can absolutely identify what that is. I mean, studying renews your mind, expands your horizon, the way you're able to think about. But there's something about prayer that directly plugs you into yeah. the, the heart of God for His people. Yeah. You know, and and God will speak to you concerning your assignment and where you're at and what it is, and especially if you're a pastor, or evangelist, or teacher, whatever, a youth group leader. Uh, he speaks to you regarding his people, and he places, uh, you know, it's very, one of the pitfalls of being a preacher or a pastor, whatever it is, is to preach, is to not know where the people are at when they're preaching. Mm, yeah, know your audience. Absolutely, yeah. and you can discover that by by prayer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you can get up there and, and, and really put on a show with, you know, Greek new language and, yeah. and, and, and exquisite skills, but not know where the people are at. Yeah. And so the people are listening to you probably more or less impressed. Probably less impressed. Yeah. You know, probably less impressed than we are with ourselves. <laughs> and yet, go home hurting because you mm-hmm. didn't, you didn't know. You didn't do anything for them. But you can find the heart of God, which is being prophetic. Mm-hmm. You know, being prophetic means knowing God's heart at that moment, having the word from God. And then, since you've been in study all this time, God is able to take the vast amounts of understanding yes. that you have been developing yes. through discipline yes. and funnel that through. And we were even talking about over supper a couple hours ago how even having more knowledge can even help you be more spontaneous and led by the Spirit Mm -hmm. because you know so much, you've studied so much. There's different areas you can go into. The Spirit knows He can nudge you this direction, that direction. But if you haven't studied, then it's kind of like, okay, I have this one topic, and I'm really good on this one topic, but don't ask me to talk about anything else. And so that, that doesn't give the Spirit freedom to move anyway. That's right. Josh, it has been... Phenomenal talking to you. And, it's been a uh, pleasure for me, Chris. Well, what's your Instagram handle so they can follow you on Instagram? At okay, what? it's it's at Don D O N and then E R I C K I I. So it's kind of it's a Spanish Don Eric. So D O N E R I C K I I. So D at D O N E R I C K I I. Follow him on Instagram. Do you have a website? Uh, I have a Facebook page, okay. which is just my name, Eric Josue. Munoz. So okay. just if you start putting A R I C K M U N, it'll pop up. If anybody wanted to support your ministry, is there yes, like that? that would be. Pardon me. Is there anywhere they can go to, to see more about your ministry? They want to if you? if you go to that Facebook page, that's Say all about our time. church. It's E R I C K and then M U N O Z. If you start typing that out on Facebook, I'm one of the first ones that'll pop up, and so you can see all about our church and the ministry that the Lord has given us. And I'd love to be able to just in contact with you and be able to share what the Lord has put in our hearts so that'd be great and he's a great friend of mine and I encourage you to do that uh, so in conclusion I want you to remember advance your study life give God your best when it comes to academics and study if you're a pastor minister or you're aspiring pastor minister you're a young person uh, or young at heart maybe you're older in <laughs> age but you're thinking about Bible school education academics I highly recommend it to you um, start where you're at do what your hands find to do Keep your prayer life hot. Keep your prayer life fervent. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Don't despise prophesying. But go after everything God has for you. And remember, stay compassionate mm-hmm. towards the people of God. Remember that all we're, we're doing all this to serve the kingdom. And uh, you know all of this is not for our own glory. It's to bring glory to the Lord. And if you do have a plethora of information... Or knowledge like Josh does. <laughs> More like Chris does. <laughs> but, you could, but Josh is a very humble guy. And uh, he's down to earth. And uh, that's the goal is to stay humble and to, and to uh, stay, stay 
Teachable, touchable, so you can reach at least the last in the loss. What does that say? Teachable, touchable, still the saying? I don't know, but it, it sounds good. I don't so know what that was saying. Was that Alex? Okay, teachable, touchable, and so you can reach at least the last in the loss. Okay. Mm. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to Greek for the Week. If you're listening, make sure you give this a five star. Uh, if the Spirit of God moves you, five star review. Okay. Five stars better than four. On, uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to, and we'll be back with you more next time. God bless you, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.